Hello, everyone, and welcome to Shark Brain, episode 12. I am your host, Jake Newton. Thank you so much for clicking, for tuning in, for turning on, and not dropping out, or other Timothy Leary references. Gotten some really great letters. I've gotten some really great uh, feedback from people. I promise to get back to those of you who I haven't yet. I'm a, I'm a bit of a flippity gibbet, and I think I, I know that about myself now. I'm willing to accept it. I don't like it. I'd like to change it. I'd like to get better at getting back to people, is what I'm saying. Which I think is a... I don't know, we'll get into all of that. There's a whole host of things. It's just too early in the show to do that. But I wanted to thank those of you who came out to the shows that have been happening. we got some more coming up. Getting to that specifically... November 26th, I'm playing at 9 p.m. at the Hotel Cafe. Going to be working on a few new tunes. Going to see how they live. Expose them to the outside elements and see if they have failure to thrive syndrome or if they are just the catchiest things since, well, I don't know. I don't know, catchy. I played this benefit a couple nights ago for um, a friend of mine. Uh, They had excessive medical bills. Well, it actually wasn't my friend. It was their father. And uh, I was just trying to have... I was trying to think of what kind of songs I could do for someone who's just getting over a brain tumor. Um, I don't necessarily have a catalog that supports that. I have the catalog that kind of says, guess what? You have cancer. Not, guess what? You got over cancer. That's not usually my thing. I, I don't know. I, I I tend to think that my songs are a little bit more depressing than what they are, or so I'm told. But I'd, I'd like to write some levity. I'd like to get, well, I think you have to have a certain sense of levity to write levity. I don't know. Back me up on this. Refute this. Email me about this. Let's start a debate. Let's let's start a debate on Facebook. That'll be a really wonderful use of our time. I think that Facebook has probably turned me off to politics in general from both sides. Both sides. I've got a ton of liberal friends. I've got a lot of conservative friends. And they both just like to fight. And um, it's like screaming into the air. It makes absolutely no sense. Saw Coldplay. Rather, I saw um, Chris Martin this week. Played at the Hotel Cafe. Secret show. Looked up, everybody had their phones out, documenting it. I didn't want to do it. I don't know, I felt like I didn't want to be a joiner. Well, you know, hey, flip side of it is that they actually have some documentation of it, and I don't, I have to rely on my memory, and I don't even remember where my keys are. At this very moment, I'm trapped at my house. Can someone please send over another set of keys for me? But also, I didn't want to be a joiner. I didn't want to to lump myself in with everybody with their phones out. And that seems a ridiculous thing to do. It's just, it's this weird kind of posturing thing in my own mind. And I, I, I don't necessarily come from a place of actually thinking, well, I'm just going to sit here and enjoy this. I, I just sit there and judge people with their phones out. It's a, it's a strange, messed up thing. I think I got it from wanting to be a punk, but not having the energy. Uh, it's latent. There's a lot of unsung heroes of my subconscious mind that are leaping to get out at any moment. And that was one particular instance in which it just went crazy. Well, before we get into what's happening in this particular show, because it is a little different from the other shows, I want to get specific about a couple of business things. We've got all the episodes of Shark Brain up at sharkbrainpodcast.com. I don't know how you came to the podcast, whether you went through iTunes or whether you went through another different aggregate, but they're all up there along with some blogs and some information of how you can see live shows. And we're working on merch still. There's still some Jake Newton merch there, maybe coming soon, some specific Shark Brain podcast merch, all kinds of fun stuff, but you'll be able to send a note. Do any number of those things at sharkbrainpodcast.com. Do go to it and drop me a line. Let me know what you think of the show. Let me know who you'd like to have on the show. 
I, I really appreciate all the people that have been reaching out. I do try to get back to everybody. It's not necessarily there's a huge influx of people pouring in. And that's not the end of <laughs> it's not the end of that uh, Christmas movie Miracle on 34th Street where a bunch of Santa Claus letters come in and I have to deal with all of them or like the hard day's night where I can't go out. My manager's making me stay in and I have to sign all these letters and send them all back to the girls. There's nothing happening like that. And frankly, it shouldn't have to be like that for me to have, you know, have a problem getting back to people. I should just understand that, uh, I've got a lot on my plate. Okay. I'm giving myself the permission. My therapist says, give yourself the permission to not be perfect. Cause that's a lot of the thing with me. If it's not absolutely perfect, let's just tear the whole thing down and I'm going to take my ball and go home. Anyway, also, November 26th at the Hotel Cafe. I mentioned this before, but I want to make sure to drill it in everybody's minds. I want people out there. I think I'm okay in saying that. I want you out there. Bring your ass. Just grass. Just do it. Anyway, all the info is at jakenewton.com or at sharkbrainpodcast.com. I truly appreciate you guys listening. Now, let's move on to the crux of this show. This show's title is called The Lost Year. In my life, I've had a lot of ups and downs. I've had a lot of money, a little bit of money, a bit of success, no success, obscurity, my own myopic famosity. It's been a bit of a ride. But I had one year in particular, one year that changed a lot. One year that was probably the worst and sometimes best that I've always wanted to tell, and this is the perfect format for it. So strap in, put your earphones on, Turn that uh, treadmill up to 9 or 10. Let's get into it. On the one, the only, Shark Brain. Okay. It's 2006. I'm 25 years old. I'm living in Los Angeles, I'm living with my girlfriend, and one thing leads to another. We have a long, drawn-out conversation about how we don't appreciate each other and how we're just a little too myopic in our relationship. We're just taking each other for granted, so I move out. Now, I'm working as a waiter at this time at a little cafe around the corner. It's not really paying all the bills. I'm having to do a little bit of tap dancing at the 1st and the 15th of the month, but I'm getting by. But I'm in Los Angeles. I'm in Los Angeles to be an actor. I luck out. I've got a really great manager, someone who's got a few high-powered people with them, and they're bringing me on as kind of a wait-and-see, figure out whether or not this kid's going to make something of himself. I get a part, small one, in a huge movie. I get a big part in a small movie. I'm working. I'm working pretty steady. Doesn't pay all the bills. Being a waiter, those things help. It's not a very uncommon story. So, for one reason or another, my girlfriend and I, we break up. It's just not working out. Now, something about being in Los Angeles and always kind of living hand to mouth, you kind of have to have a bit of money stashed away if you're going to be making a move. And I have no money stashed away. I've been living hand to mouth for so long, I just didn't have any money put away. So, I'm kind of at the mercy of the wind. I run into an old friend from college who's a great friend of mine at the time. And he says, hey, I know it's uh, I know it's not ideal. I know it seems a little bit weird, but I've got a garage on my property. It's in the back. It's totally separate. 
closes down, maybe you could live in there. You know, hey, hey, um, my wife and I, we're kind of quirky. We like going out there and, you know, playing fort. It's fun. You know, you'll like it. We have a mattress in there already. You know, you could just bring your stuff in and store it for like a month or two. It's not too bad outside. It's pretty nice in there. Why don't you do that? I've got no other options at this time. And I think, hey, why not? Why not? I could, I could rough it. I'm a tough guy. I've, I've been able to figure out this kind of stuff before. I grew up in the mountains. That's like camping, but in a more urbane setting. Let's go for it. So I load up my 1993 SC2 Saturn, and I go over there with the three or four boxes of stuff that I have. And I drop it off, turn on this horrible fluorescent light, and it cascades down on the dust and the grime in the garage. And I grab a bottle of Windex, and I clean that stuff up. And by the end of things... It's not that bad of a setup. So it seems. It's pretty great. It's off the end of the house. Now, unfortunately, I have to walk into the house to use the bathroom. But hey, I can deal with that, I can deal with that certainly for a month. Come on. Put a little money aside. Get my first and last on a place. Find a place. It'll be great. Well, so I thought. Unfortunately, cars breaking down and dental bills coming up out of nowhere. I could not get ahead. One month turned into two months. Two months turned into three. Before I knew it, I had been there for five months. Nearly half a year. Just wasting away in the back of the garage. It was a strange place to live because you had to walk inside to use the bathroom. You were constantly lifting and closing. and it, Lifting and closing the garage door and you were at the mercy of the Los Angeles summers and the cold, terraform winters. I think we had every single season in that five-month period. It became blazingly hot at times, and just bitterly, bitterly cold, and others. About this time, my friend whom I had moved in with had recently married within about two or three years of this happening, and his wife and him were having one of those rough patches. Fueled by a little bit of excess of alcohol, the two of them would fight like cats and dogs, screaming at each other. And it was a place that I knew that I couldn't be in. I couldn't be in the middle of them because it was bad for their development. They need to work this out. And I needed to not be within earshot. It was absolutely mind-crushingly, devastatingly depressing. So during the day, we would wake up, and I had nowhere to be. The auditions were starting to dry up. I worked maybe three or four days at this cafe around the corner. And beyond a four-hour lunch shift, you just didn't really do anything. There was a lot of, I don't know what you would call it other than uh, a laissez-faire attitude towards the ever-incoming days as they would just peel over me over and over again. Yet another one. Yet another one. The buddy I was living with was an aspiring musician. As I was an inspiring actor, we both had a lot of time to sit and aspire together, or rather commiserate. There was a lot of wringing our hands and not knowing what to do, so the ideal day for us would be to give ourselves the permission to kick back for a little bit. Hey, we've earned it. We'd walk down to a dilapidated store in the middle of Monterey Park, where this place was, and avoiding the sirens and the screeches of cars and the extra-loud bass of all the neighbors' houses, we would pick up a pack of Corona, pick up a bottle of tequila, a couple of packages of cigarettes, and we would ride that out, 
through the entire day. Just sit in our sweat and our desire and our longing and our feeling of obscurity, of undiscoveredness, of aimlessness, of petrified youth. We would just get drunk. Usually this started around three or four in the afternoon. You know, get a nice afternoon buzz. But we started creeping up a little sooner in the day. Maybe two o'clock. Hey, it's happy hour somewhere. One thirty. Twelve noon. Hey, wouldn't it be fun to have a beer with breakfast? Just sort of burgeoned into this full-blown, alcoholic, bacchanalian, horrendous time with a couple of enablers, both of us not knowing what to do with our lives, with ourselves. We were out of college. We were told by our parents and our friends that we were going to truly be something that we would look for us on TV, that we would become the movers and the shakers of the 21st century. But nothing happened, and no one walked up to us with a clipboard and said, you, stand right there, you're perfect, we'll take you. So we were aimless. My friend that I was living with started to fight more with his wife. The screaming got louder, it became more bitter. On just one particular occasion, it got so bad that his wife left, walked out of the house, crying, weeping, like a little kid. And I felt that I had to do something about it. I I didn't know what to do. So I walked in. I tried to see if he was okay, just to check in on him. He was passed out on the couch. And then had one of those drunken screaming moments where he popped up out of a dead sleep and just started screaming till his voice was hoarse at me. All kinds of gibberish. I mean, didn't really know what it was. Said, but it was actually said some pretty terribly lucid, angry, hurtful things. And it crushed me. I don't know what to do with that. I've never known what to do with aggressive energy. I've never been able to defer it. I've never been able to react around it. I've never been able to come up against it. There's been a handful of times in my life where I've been aggressive. I can count them and I remember them vividly. But this was not one of them. So what I did, I packed up my car in the middle of the night. I got everything that I, everything that I needed, everything, my toothbrush, my pictures. I pulled them out of the garage that where I'd been living and I drove away. I knew that I had overstayed my welcome by far, far too long, and my friends were incredibly patient with me to even have me in there for half a year. I'm sure they didn't even bargain with me being there that long, but I was in the way, and they were in the middle of some sort of transformative thing, some sort of story all their own that I couldn't abide being in the thick of. I was was just standing in the doorway while the horde was marching through, and I was getting trampled, figuratively speaking. It was about this time, about a week after the huge fight, that I lost my acting manager. Called me up one day out of the blue. Sorry, it's just not working out. We haven't been able to get you out on anything. We would love to give you more attention. It's just been so busy around here. And frankly, it's not fair to you. 
It's just not fair to you. It's amazing how when somebody wants to end a relationship in this particular entertainment business, how when they're doing it, it's it's just business. That's all you have to do. See if you can try to reverse that. I've ended relationships with managers where you thought that I said, and you know what? I'll take both your kidneys and you can die of dialysis on the streets of Burma. So there, take that. Yeah, it's a, it's a bizarre thing. So I lose my housing that was tenuous at best. Let's be honest. I was living in a garage. What kind of animal was I allowing myself to be to live in a garage and just be day drunk all the time? And I lost my manager and any real ability to get a decent job in Hollywood because... To be honest, I didn't make the inroads with other managers or agents or casting directors. I just didn't have the foresight. I didn't have my girlfriend anymore. We had been broken up for a while. So there didn't really seem like a whole lot of reason to stay in L.A. just for the immediate time period. My dad called me up just to kind of check in with me, asked me how I was doing, and I unleashed a volley of my entire life's crap, the the corner that I had painted myself into. And he told me, hey, why don't you come up? to come up and uh, do some work on the house for a little bit. Unspecified period of time. And I got to tell you how painful it was to say yes to that. I grew up in a tiny town in Central California where the main export was firewood and kids who were hoping for a better life. It's a great place to be from. It's a great place to retire to. But staying there, for me, wasn't really an option. I wanted to make something of myself. I wanted to prove myself. I wanted to prove to other people that I was worthy of, I don't know what. It's the big city, big dreams thing, you know. Step off the bus, wide-eyed, the whole kit and caboodle. I had sold myself on it. And so coming back to this tiny town in Central California was mortifying. I didn't know how long I was going to be there. I knew that I didn't have any money for a first and last in an apartment in LA and I didn't have any money for food. I had nothing. My job at the cafe was going absolutely nowhere. So I left. I loaded up my car again and I left. I remember the evening that I actually pulled up. It was in November. And the sun had already set for at least a couple of hours and it was six or seven o'clock at night. And the lights were on on the porch. And I walked in there, just like I was back from college or coming home for Christmas. Only I knew that I was moving back in. And the heartache and the sinking, hurting, bitter failure that I felt. I was supposed to be a famous actor. I was I was trying to be James Dean incarnate. That was what was what my goal was. My hyper sense of perfection was leaned up against that I was going to be this century's Marlon Brando, but here I was moving back to my parents' house. My dad had asked around a few of his friends to see if anybody had work for his 25-year-old son that was moving back for a little bit. Take a break from the rat race. Get back to his roots. That's how he packaged it. It was a good way to do it. Thanks, Dad. Thank you for not hanging me out to dry. He failed completely, and he's coming home. Now he needed a little bit of a break. But found work with a family friend who was a plumber. Not necessarily the, you know, pump your toilet, you know, show your crack, you know, kind of plumber. Like a building houses plumber. Pipe layer, they call him, I guess. He got me a job helping out building a Holiday Inn two hours south 
directly between Los Angeles and my hometown, in this place called Porterville, which is just an agricultural town in the middle of nowhere, a bit of a wasteland. You take a right off of the 99 going north, and you just drive and drive and drive until you don't think you can drive anymore, and then all of a sudden, up pops a Burger King, and right next to that Burger King was a job site where we were building a Holiday Inn. Now, it was a Holiday Inn, Holiday Inn Express, I should say. Pretty reasonable place if you want to stay. They give you a continental breakfast. You know, sometimes they even have an iron you can borrow from the front desk. It's a businessman's kind of a place. place to get in and get out and get on with your life. So what I was doing is I was helping out. I was a plumber's helper. It was like, hey, Jake, go grab that pipe. Can you put it over there? That looks good. Excellent. Hey, run down to the truck. We need this part. It looks like this, maybe a little squiggly thing. Go do it. This is a three-quarter inch pipe, Jake. I need a half-inch pipe. Could you please come back with that? Okay. Okay. What do you need? What do you need? I was earning $10 an hour and working 40 hours a week, which doesn't equate out to a whole lot, you know, after taxes are taken out. I start thinking to myself, this is going to take a very, very long time to get first and last on an apartment in L.A. if I'm going to be able to do this. So... I'm going to need to take a second job. Now, I live, rather, my parents lived, I grew up outside of Yosemite National Park, which is one of the biggest tourist attractions in the United States of America. And as a result of it being a tourist attraction, there are a lot of resorts and hotels and that sort of a thing. And I've got experience as a waiter, so I go and I apply to a waiter's job at the nights when I'm not working being a plumber. And they accept me. I get an in from my buddy John Karate who vouched for me to get my job. So I'm working during the day as a plumber, and I'm working at night as a banquet waiter. And I'm as busy as I can get, because I want to get back down to L.A. as soon as possible. This is just a tiny ellipsis in my life. I will not be a failure. I'm just going to bounce right back from this. No problem whatsoever. But I become incredibly tired and incredibly depressed. You can hear it in my voice just thinking about it. I Just remembering that time, it just... I would wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, every single morning, to drive two hours, to go down to Porterville, to work eight hours, and to come back. And then every other night, I'd work a banquet doing something. No matter what happened, no matter how tired I was, no matter, no matter if it was a Sunday, I just couldn't get to bed before midnight. My anxiety would keep me up. I would just sit there and think, you're a failure, you're a failure, you didn't do it. What are you doing here? I would run numbers in my head how much longer I had to get up every morning and work as a plumber's helper, how much, how many more banquets I would have to do, how much longer on this personal, personal purgatory, this personal wandering in the wilderness, this prodigal journey into self that I had forced myself upon. How much longer did I have? And inevitably, I'd kind of doze off around 1 or 2 in the morning, wake up at 4, completely blitzed out of my mind from fatigue, and I'd get in the car, and I would carpool with this kid. His name was Jake, too. We quickly became known as the Jakes on the job site, which I hated. I didn't want to be involved. I didn't want to be part of the group and be known as one of the Jakes. Ugh, it just it grossed me out. I didn't want any connection. I just wanted to, I, this was, I was in and I was out. That was it. I, I, I wasn't going, don't give me a nickname. Don't, don't, don't put a plaque up for me. I, I got to get out of here. I don't want to be associated. And I realized how 
shitty and snobby that sounds, but hey, it's the way I felt. So, you know, deal with it. I have perspective on it now. I'm I'm better. Okay, don't worry about me. Anyway, Jake and I, the Jakes, as we're known, would travel down every single weekday, two hours south from our town to the job site in the company's Chevy S10 that had seen more battles than the USS Thomas Jefferson. This thing was an absolute bottom-of-the-barrel piece of garbage that smelled more like a cigarette than it did a car. And we would smoke with the windows rolled up because it was too freezing to actually keep them down. In the darkest of night, in the early morning, we'd stop by and we'd get burritos. It was a big thing. We'd call ahead. They'd have breakfast burritos for us. And we'd eat these enormous pillowcases full of cheese and egg before having to run around all day working on a construction site. The foreman actually reminded me of my old college professor from drama, except he had a little bit more of an attitude. Hell, a lot of a, more of an attitude. And a different, a different certain gestalt about him. Let's just say he wasn't as eruditious, especially in his words. Yeah. So I'm on the site with the guys. I'm working with a crew of about four or five different plumbers. And I'm helping all of them out. I'm just sort of the gopher. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm cold. It's the middle of winter. Temperatures are usually around 30... 35. I know you Midwesterners are chuckling over that, but hey, I'm not used to it. I've been living in Los Angeles. I'll be in the garage, but it's freezing. Freezing to me. So I get to know a few of the guys. The guy that was leader of our team was a kid that I actually grew up with named Weston, whose parents had homeschooled him, and in an effort to rebel, he decided to get really, really into punk rock. So here I am, the leader of my particular subset of workers on this huge job is a kid named Weston with black eyeliner, studded belt, and spiked bracelet. He actually wore eyeliner to, to work. I thought it was very admirable of him. And a black flag patch on his back. It kind of felt a little ca- countercultural. It felt good to have him as our leader. Then there was Tony, and of course the aforementioned Jake, and Kevin, the boss's son, who showed up intermittently whenever he kind of wanted to. But the guys would ask me questions about L.A., which actors I had met, what movies I'd worked on, what movies I didn't get, what it's like. Inevitably, they would all say, Ah, oh, I'd love to come down there, but I hate the traffic. I like my life calm up here in the valley. And I felt a weird sense, a weird kind of homecoming sense that would wash over me when they'd ask me stories about Hollywood and they'd ask me about the glamour or about the cutthroat avarice, the business, the dirty underbelly, the scoop. I felt I was being conspiratorial with them, but I also felt so far from where I wanted to be. All of us gathered around, hot cups of coffee and freezing cold hands, taking maybe one too many breaks. I love those guys. I stay in touch with a couple of them, intermittently here and there, Weston still. Hey, buddy. If you're listening, a little shout out. So I'm driving there every day. I'm working there every day. I'm regaling people with the evils and the blessings and the glory of Hollywood. And they're happy to tell me about their lives, about their kids. It's almost as if people that move down to L.A. that pursue this particular dream put everything on hold in some sort of bizarre chrysalis of later, while our friends and compatriots from high school 
in junior high all move on in the normal realm of things. They have kids by the time they're 30. They try to buy a house because you can actually do that in other places. It's it's weird. It's it's almost as if you've been placed in some sort of some sort of amber until you are actually able to quote unquote make it in Hollywood and your friends speed past you, especially if you're from a small town like I am. I mean, hell, get kids having kids in high school. It's strange. Anyway, I got a call out of the blue one day while I'm on the job site in the dead of winter. I think it's roughly around. I've been at the job for about three months now, two months. It's January or February. And it's a number I don't recognize, so I let it ring a couple times. And I pick it up, and it's someone from a production company down in Los Angeles wanting to know if they can use one of my songs in their commercial. And this comes as an absolute absolute shock because I had, I didn't submit any songs. I was one of I was a bedroom guitar player. I played shows here and there, but it was kind of more of a casual dalliance. I was an actor, remember. I grew up playing guitar because my dad played guitar, and I was going to differentiate. I was good to do my own thing. Yeah, I'd play guitar here and there in front of people because, you know, hey, it's attention. I like attention. Give me more of it. But I never really shared my music with anybody else, save a couple people, one of whom was a guy by the name of Charlie Watson, who actually was the director on the commercial that this production company was using, who in a fit of morbid curiosity I had given him my music that I had worked on, just dinking around on Pro Tools. He liked it. He grabbed it and ended up wanting to use it on this commercial. The other person said, could I get back to them toward the end of the day? I'm in shock. I, I'm trying to plug my ears so I can hear what they're saying over the din and the clatter of this construction site. What with buzzsaws going and people screaming over each other. I'm trying to play it off to this person on the phone that I'm not actually in the middle of some hellscape sponsored by Home Depot. <laughs> so I've, I finally get the fact, I tell them that, can I call them back later? And uh, they agree, yes, of course, we've got a little bit of a time, but, you know, sooner than later, that's kind of how they all run. I get another phone call that evening asking me if $10,000 would be an okay number to pay me to have my song in their commercial. Now, in the world of commercials, at least at this particular time, that was not a whole lot of money, believe it or not. I know, it's strange to people who aren't in the middle of the business, but you have to understand, hey, this is a lot of money riding on the line for these people. They want to make sure they get the best song and that they earn their money for it. But, hey, they figure they're going to go a little low on the budget for the song, so might as well, hey, you know, shoot it across the bow of this music guy, see if he wants to use it. Now, on my end... I am absolutely, ecstatically, beyond over the moon. $10,000. I've been busting my ass 40 hours a week for $10 an hour minus the taxes and all that stuff. It works out to like three fifty a week. You know how long I would have to work to make $10,000? I am ecstatic. This is phenomenal. I am free. I'm no longer going to be one of the Jakes. I'm not going to die in obscurity. I'm not going to come back to my hometown and be a failure. I am on my way out. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I am gone. Where do I sign? Send me the money. Yes, please. Well, I get a pile of papers that are sent to me in the mail via FedEx. I sign them all off. I fax them all back. All is good. I'm feeling great about things. And I wait. But I can't really just sit and wait. I have to I get too edgy. I get too excited. I want to tell people. 
So I kind of casually slip into the conversation, you know, with my buddies at work, you know, on the construction site that, hey, you know, uh, these people called me and I might not be here for very long because, uh, yeah, they wanted one of my songs. Oh, for how much? Oh, well, let me tell you. That's just a small one. It was just 10 grand. 10 grand. That's a lot of money, man. Yeah, you got it, man. It is a lot of money. But, you know, hey, that's the way it is down in Hollywood, man. You know, it's the ebb and the flow. It's the feast and the famine. I guess I'm looking at a feast. What are you going to do with all that money, man? I tell you what I'm going to do with that money, man. I'm going to buy my parents an insane Christmas gift. I'm going to buy my sisters all kinds of stuff. I'm going to call that girl that I broke up with. I'm going to get back together with her, man. I'm going to get my life in order. But first and foremost, I'm going to quit this job and I'm going to move back down south, man. I'm going to start pursuing my life again. I'm going to get back up off of the mat and I'm going to fight. That's what I'm going to do. Oh, man, well, it was so good to know you, man. I can't wait to see you on TV. Hey, man, no. Don't we worry, man. I'll never forget you, man. I'll never forget the little people. No, man. No, man. You're like the best. No, you are, man. You are. Thank you for being <laughs> Thank you for being with me through these trying times and being a sage in a hard hat. That's for you, man. No, man. That's for you. You go off into the wilderness, man. You go. You go back to L.A. You tell our story. I will. I'll tell your story. And then it was awkward. Because I mentioned that earlier in the day, and so we had the entire day for them to just kind of do the whole, yeah, man, see you soon. And it didn't work out. It's like when you say goodbye to somebody after eating dinner with them, and you realize you're parked in the same spot. You should have said goodbye at the car, but now you have to walk back awkwardly. (laughs) So that's what it was like. And I waited a day or two. I didn't want to seem too eager. I wanted to kind of play it cool. I didn't hear anything. I waited about another week because, you know, hey, uh, it takes time. That's, you know, it's a big check to write. So it's got to make its way through the ad agency and then the production company ad infinitum. I don't really know the ins and outs. So I'm just my first time. I'm going to wait it out. I wait two weeks. I make one probing call to the production company and I don't really hear too much chatter about it. It's kind of like, oh, 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 that. Oh, we'll, we'll. Well, you know what? Hey, you know you can call the actual ad agency. Maybe they would know because it probably got stuck somewhere between us and them and all that. Oh, no. The seeds of doubt are starting to blossom. They're germinating and they're blossoming. Could it have been too good to be true? Did I, did I make the fatal faux pas of putting eggs in baskets, counting chickens before they hatched? Was I going to be stuck in the most awkward of positions to have to put my tail between my legs and hunker down and continue to work as a plumber's helper in the middle of farmland California when I was supposed to be gracing the stages and screens of America? Would I have to do that? Would I have to put myself back down in the mire? No, I don't think I could do it. I I can't. I can't. I won't. Well, maybe I will. I kind of, I got to do something. So I call the ad agency, and in kind of a shocked, bemused voice, they say, oh, no one told you? We're going to scrap that. You know, it's just, it's not the right time for airing it. I mean, all the ad advertising space is very, very expensive. We're near the Super Bowl, so, you know, we're going to push it back, you know. Hey, you know, uh, if it comes up again, we'll let you know, right? Okay? Oh. Okay. I guess I'll just nonchalantly hang up the phone and realized I got teased. I got, I got the football pulled out from under me is what happened. 
I got beaten up in the worst kind of way. Hope was dangled in front of me and it was ripped away from me. And I fell even further into sadness and into depression. I didn't know what I was going to do. At nights when I wasn't working as a waiter or being completely exhausted, I started recording. Started, I figured, hey, if they want songs, maybe, maybe I'll make some more. Maybe I'll put out a record. Maybe I can be a professional musician. Acting doesn't seem to be working out. I'm a terrible plumber. I'm honestly, I'm doing more harm than good on the job. I hate being a waiter at night, so I might as well start to make some music. For my own pleasure. For my own, for my own peace. To work through a lot of these things. A lot of these anxieties and a lot of these, these looming clouds of sad that would just wash over me. Causing an enormous amount of introspection. The kind, uh, the, the sad introspection that no one wants to be around. Hell, I don't want to be around it when I see it in other people. I run for the hills. Eh. So, looks like I'm going to be stuck up here for a few more weeks, months, maybe even another year. I don't know. I feel so limited and I feel so bound. I call friends from L.A., other friends that I've made. I befriended uh, Carrie Brothers a few years before this. His ex-girlfriend, a few exes back, was in my acting class, and he'd come to watch the scenes. We'd talk music, and I'd bum smokes from him. He'd fill me in on his life. I'd fill him in on mine and try to couch it in a way that didn't seem so desperate and bizarre. He was doing pretty well. It was about this time that the Garden State soundtrack came out, and he had put it together and put one of his songs on it. He started actually being able to tour and become a professional musician and make a lot of money doing it. It was a very big year for him. We talk about Pro Tools, the ins and outs of it, <laughs> the the beginner's mistakes that uh, I was making on it. But he was, a, he was a real support to me. Another person that I had befriended through all this was uh, William Fitzsimmons, who's a singer-songwriter many of you have heard of. He's a great guy. Check him out if you haven't heard him, which I doubt if you've listening to this podcast that you haven't heard William Fitzsimmons. We're in the same niche. We're in the vein of each other. So I'd send him a few demos here and there of the stuff I was working on, seek his advice, long-form letters back and forth about art and life. Miss that guy. Hey, buddy, if you get a chance to listen to this, I'd like to talk to you on this Shark Brain show. There it is, a shout-out in the middle of an actual podcast. Deal with it. But I would just look up at the stars, and up at where my parents live, it's in the middle of nowhere, so you can see all the stars. And it seems corny, and it feels like Fifole in the American tale, but I'm looking out, and I'm going, oh, what am I doing here? Why am I here? What, what's, what's this supposed to be, God? What kind of test is this? <laughs> uh, what exactly is the point of, of me being here? Not really realizing that a lot of these decisions that I had made were in reaction and fear to just the negative possibilities that would occur. Stuff that I'm working on right now, even as an adult trying to get to the bottom of the anxieties and the fears that will actually cripple every single bit of you, including your creativity. Let's talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs as it pertains to this. I mean, to be perfectly honest, if you're terrified about your housing, your car, your your Food and, and your your income, it's incredibly difficult to figure out 
whether or not you should go to a major seventh in this particular song or whether or not you should make that particular choice as an actor. It's you, your creative mind in a lot of ways shuts down because your physical, your physical being is in peril. That's, that's just the fact of it. At this particular point, that's not my problem. I mean, I'm 25. I don't have, I'm not married. I don't have any children. I don't have a mortgage. I don't have rent. I'm just trying to figure out what I'm doing. I'm a boomerang kid. I've come back home. And anyway, anyway, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm settled in to try to fight my way out of this. The old fashioned way. Working 40 hours a week and making my art at night and on the side. Get my fulfillment that way. Hell, if I wasn't going to be able to work down in L.A., I would work my own way. I'd be the man in the woods and I would I would carve out my own artistic expression. Well, unfortunately, I didn't really have the skills to do all of that on my own. I'd made some friends down in L.A. that were able to help me along with the songs I was working on in Pro Tools and 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 show me how to how to record and actually record a few things myself. This guy Brian Irwin, who was a Canadian, uh, we worked out of his one bedroom apartment, and he, the magic that he was able to do in that one bedroom is phenomenal. We drink scotch in the afternoon and try to do vocals. I try to remember the second verse. I can never remember the second verse of any song. It's a it's a foible with me. I would intermittently come down. All in all, I came down about six or seven times on weekends to visit friends, to reconnect over this year period. And then finally, at the end of uh, at the end of about a year, I had a six-song EP, six songs, and uh, about a thousand dollars to press CDs and come back down to LA. I had a a little bit of money besides that. Not a whole bunch of first and last, but I figured I had a couple friends that would let me stay with them. I just, I couldn't be away from LA any longer. So I pulled the trigger. I came down, had my CDs ready. They were, and, uh, and I, right about then I got a call. The same, same 310 number. From uh, from the production company, and they wanted to know where they should send the check. What check? Oh, no one told you. Oh well, we want to run the commercial anyway. We're just gonna, we want to just get all the ducks in a row. So where do we send this check for ten thousand dollars? Excuse me. Yeah, where do we send this check for $10,000? Have you ever had something really good happen to you, but there's just so much backlogged subtext with it that you can't really be happy? You have to go through the anger first? What? Where? Why did you? I've been, I've been waiting. Why did you? Why? Yes. Send it to this address. Thank you. Huh? But it had to happen the way it needed to happen. I needed. I needed to be humbled. I needed to to go through what I went through. I didn't learn all the lessons that I wanted to learn that I'm still learning. I'm still learning lessons from this year that took me out of the rat race of LA. I'm still thinking back on on moments throughout it. 
But I did extricate myself. I somehow was able to pull myself back up from that. And it might not seem like anything major. I know that people live through even harder things every single day of the week in all parts of the world. But for me, this was a, this was a, a incredibly hard gauntlet that I had to go through to try to find myself in the midst of anger and depression and feeling though my perfect little life that I had mapped out for myself was not folding out the way that I wanted it to fold out. Life is a lot more messy than you actually want it to be. Especially if you're a melancholic like I am that craves order, that would like to make a plan for every day and to enact it. Not necessarily to feel happy, but just to get to a baseline of mm, peace. It's debilitating. It's exhausting. But I returned back to L.A. with a lot of money in my pocket. I settled a few debts. I got ahead. I was able to pay a band to play with me for a few months to get started gigging as a regular musician. I got back together with my girlfriend, who I'm happy to say is now my wife. And I got a better apartment than living in my friend's garage. Took a while. As you well know, living in any major city, it's, it's incredibly hard to find housing and a good Thai place. Those two things. If you can find housing and a good Thai place, you've got pretty much it made. But I still struggle with my anxieties. I still struggle with my need to have my perfectly enacted plan fold out. I still struggle with uncertainty and the inability to rest within myself. I still struggle with that hierarchy of needs that gets twisted up where I'm unable to express myself unless I actually feel security and freedom. But guess what? It's the way it is in this business. It's the way it is in a lot of life. Insecurities and uncertainties abound. Hell, that's probably why I'm going to therapy. Anyway, that's the tale of the lost year. Why I left Los Angeles to work as a plumber and cocktail waiter in Central California in the middle of nowhere. Writing my first record. Incidentally, available at jakenewton.com. Oh, he's such a salesman. It's called I'm a Bird. Chronicles a bit of what was going on before and during that year. For a long time afterwards, I viewed my year away as an ellipsis in my life. As a period of time where I just stopped living and uh, took myself off the map. Got out of the race. But now I realize, looking back at it, that it was one of the best things that could have happened to me. I realigned myself. I centered myself again. I had my head wedged firmly up my ass about a lot of things, and I needed to be brought down, to be leveled out, to round off some of those hard edges of idyllic youth that thinks things are a certain way and will bust down any door, hurt anybody, or step on anybody. I'm able to be a lot more peaceful about the uncertainties. I'm able to seek my own way. Still working through a lot of that stuff. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for listening to this. Next week, we're back with guests. I'm not going to say who it is yet because I haven't decided which interview I'm going to put up yet. Thank you for indulging me on this different format of this show. Love your friends. Be well. (laughs) 